Iran appears to be standing down, which is a good thing for all parties concerned and a very good thing for the world. Yep. Including for you, Mr. President. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE, in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX. In Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950. KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the broadcast on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, not to mention your favorite podcast site where we are always downloadable. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Within uh, about an hour or so after we got off air last night uh, from our previous broadcast, a fusillade of 22 ballistic missiles was launched from Iran into two Iraqi military bases, which housed some of the 5,000 American troops deployed to that country, the country of Iraq. The Iranian attack was, according to Iran, in response to the assassination of their most revered military leader, Qasem Soleimani, who was killed in Baghdad last week by a targeted drone strike ordered by Donald Trump, who remains the president of the United States today. Thankfully, there were no American or Iraqi casualties reported from what appears to have been a largely symbolic revenge strike by Iran. With just a minimum damage reported at the two Iraqi bases, we will have much more on all of that in a moment, including a conversation with former senior State Department official uh, about Donald Trump's response to the attack on Tuesday night and Wednesday morning, wherein, thanks to wisdom of Iranian leaders, we may be seeing a de-escalation of hostilities, at least for the moment. At least that's what it appears to be. And that is good news. Within an hour or two after that ballistic missile attack, which Iran took immediate credit for, news broke of a Ukrainian Airlines Boeing 737 crashing just minutes after takeoff from the airport in Tehran. Ukraine, uh, Boeing, Iran, all in one story about an air crash. I got to say, Desi Doyen was almost too much for my brain to handle 
uh, at once last night when we yeah. got that news. Very strange for all of that to be happening in such close conjunction. And uh, today we are beginning to learn a bit more uh, in this uh, tragic aftermath of that crash. As the New York Times reports today, Ukrainian air- airliner carrying at least 176 people crashed shortly after takeoff from Tehran. On Wednesday, killing everyone on board. It was unclear what caused the disaster, but the aircraft, a Boeing 737-800, went down amid an escalating violent conflict between the U.S. and Iran. Early statements from both Ukraine and Iran about what happened to the flight, which was bound for Kiev, the Ukrainian capital, were both confusing and contradictory. According to The Times, just hours earlier, Iran had fired missiles at two bases in Iraq that housed U.S. troops and Iranian forces were on alert for an American counterstrike. Though the evidence remained sketchy, aviation experts today said that what was known indicated that the plane could have been attacked. Investigators should have that possibility, quote, at the top of their agenda, says Peter Gulls a uh, former managing director of the National Transportation Safety Board in the U.S. Ukraine International Flight 752 left Imam Khomeini International Airport in Tehran at 6.12 a.m. on Wednesday, abruptly ceased the automatic transmission of flight data just two or three minutes later, though it remained in the air for a few minutes longer. Experts say that it is an extremely rare sequence of events, even in a catastrophic accident, and all the more unexpected in a relatively new plane built in 2016 of a model with a very good safety record. That, in contrast with Boeing 737 MAX, which was grounded after two catastrophic crashes over the past year. The Ukrainian plane had reached an altitude of almost 8,000 feet, a speed of more than 300 miles per hour. Uh, planes don't just blow up in midair, according to Richard Abulafia, vice president for uh, analysis at the Teal Group, an aviation consulting firm, according to The New York Times. It just does not work like that, he said. After an accident, normally the black boxes or flight data recorder are often sent to the plane's maker for analysis. But the head of Iran's civil aviation organization told the uh, Ali Abazeda told the uh, semi-official mayor news agency that Iran would not send the recorders from the Ukraine International Airlines flight to Boeing, which is an American company. Uh, Mayor quoted him as saying, we will not give the black box to the manufacturer and the Americans. Ukrainian uh, Ukrainian officials, he said, would be involved in Iran's investigation of the crash. Moreover, as reported uh, elsewhere previously, normally in such a case, the manufacturer, uh, in this case Boeing, would send its own inspectors to the crash site to take part in the probe. But because of Donald Trump's newly instituted sanctions against Iran, that were put in place after he pulled out of the anti-nuclear agreement with Iran and with several other leading nations. Uh, Because of that, Boeing officials may not actually even be allowed to work with Iran on the probe, even if Iran wanted them to. The NTSB, which often takes part in aviation accident investigations in other parts of the world, is uh, said to be working with the State Department and other agencies to determine the best course of action at this point, according to an NTSB spokesperson. A spokesperson for Iran's armed forces 
uh, said that the crash was not a result of any military action. But there are apparently questions about that. The Iranian news media quoted uh, that uh, uh, Army spokesperson as saying, quote, they are spreading propaganda that the Ukrainian flight was targeted. This is ridiculous. Most of the passengers on this flight were our valued young Iranian men and women. Whatever we do, we do it for the protection and defense of our country and our people. And while I believe that, I also think that it is quite possible that the plane was mistaken for a U.S. response to Iran's revenge attack an hour or two earlier and that it was shot down in a tragic mistake. That would certainly explain uh, the, uh, Iran's unwillingness to uh, share the black box with, uh, with, with Boeing. But that's just my spidey sense, uh, frankly, from the material that I've, uh, I've been reading today. That explanation would make sense, according to the available uh, information. Yeah, I mean, that's, <clears throat> it's a, it seems to be, sadly, a, a plausible explanation. But we can't know that for sure because of the situation caused by Donald Trump. Well, caused by Donald Trump. Also, Iran, for whatever reason, does not want to share it with the U.S., which I guess I could understand given the conflict that they are in. But yeah. given that they lost uh, a whole bunch of their own people, you would think they would want an answer to this. But it sort of appears they don't want an actual answer. At least that's what I'm reading into this. Uh, Iranian news organizations tied to the government referred to technical problems with the plane, but they did not elaborate or cite evidence. Uh, later, the head of Iran's civil aviation organization told the mayor news agency so far that there was no evidence of technical problems. An airliner should be able to fly even if one engine fails. But an uncontained engine failure in which parts of an engine not not only fail, but disintegrate for some reason can spray shrapnel that can then damage or even destroy a plane. But they note that such events are rare in the event of a missile attack. However, that would not, I don't think, be unusual. And if Iran mistook this plane for some reason uh, as part of a U.S. response to their attack just an hour or so earlier... Well, mistakes happen in the fog of war. After the crash, Ukraine's embassy in Iran issued a statement ruling out terrorism or a rocket attack as a cause of the crash. That was from Ukraine's embassy, but that statement was later removed by the Ukrainian embassy's website and replaced with one saying that it was too early to draw any conclusions. So Ukraine is backing off on what could have been the cause of this uh, this tragedy. Mr. Abazeda, uh, uh, with the Iranian uh, Aviation Commission, also said that the airliner had not contacted the control tower about an emergency, which had they simply lost an engine, one would think they would have contacted them uh, versus something that happened quickly that they could not respond to at all. At a news conference in Kiev several hours after the crash, Ukraine International Airlines executives said that the plane had been in good working order, was being operated by a highly trained crew. They offered no theories as to what might have happened, and they declined to comment on whether it might have been shot down. Uh, this uh, plane, the uh, 737NG, is one of the world's most widely used airliners, according to the Times. It has a very good safety record. Uh, the airline said that the plane was manufactured in 2016 and delivered directly from the factory and that it had most recently undergone scheduled maintenance just on Monday, just two days before the crash. 
So we'll keep our eyes on that story and what we might learn about what actually happened uh, there. And as all of that was going on, including 22 ballistic missiles being hurled at Americans on bases in Iraq in retaliation for Donald Trump's unlawful assassination of Iran's second most powerful leader. And as a civilian Ukrainian airliner, uh, American-made passenger jet crashed upon takeoff from the Tehran airport. As all of that was going on, the president of the United States tweeted on Tuesday night, quote, all is well. Missiles launched from Iran at two military bases located in Iraq. Assessment of casualty and damages taking place now. So far, so good. Trump tweeted, I will be making a statement tomorrow morning. Well, on Wednesday morning, flanked by his vice president, his defense secretary, his secretary of state, and notably a whole bunch of his uh, top military men in uniform, about half a dozen of them, Trump gave his statement from the grand foyer in the White House as the New York Times reported it. President Donald Trump backed away from further military action against Iran on Wednesday and called for a new diplomatic effort as the bristling confrontation of the last six days appeared to ease after Iranian missile strikes that proved more symbolic than deadly. Iran appears to be standing down, which is a good thing for all parties concerned and a very good thing for the world, Trump said in his televised statement. He vowed again not to let Iran obtain a nuclear weapon and warned it against future terrorism. By the way, Iran has said they are not trying to obtain a nuclear weapon. And Trump warned them against future terrorism or destabilizing actions in the region, but otherwise avoided the bombastic threat, threats that had characterized his public remarks in recent days. Instead, he said he would impose more economic sanctions on Iran and called on NATO allies to become more involved in the Middle East. He said the fact that we have this great military and equipment, however, does not mean we have to use it. We do not want to use it, he said, expressing willingness to negotiate with Iran. He added that Britain, France, Germany, Russia and China should recognize that the nuclear agreement they sealed along with President Barack Obama in 2015 is effectively dead. That since Trump unilaterally violated that agreement by pulling out of it and reimposing sanctions, he also called on those countries to join him in negotiating a replacement deal that would go further to constrain Iran's alleged nuclear ambitions. Trump confirmed that no Americans or Iraqi troops were injured or killed in that latest attack. In the hours since, some analysts have expressed some cautious optimism that the missile strike might prove the end of at least the immediate conflict rather than the start of a larger confrontation, as many had feared, one that could spiral into a full-fledged war. They could have been a, fa a face-saving way for Iran to say it had responded forcefully to the killing of General Soleimani without actually hurting any Americans which would quite likely have provoked Trump into escalating further, according to the Times. And frankly, I think that that is exactly what they did. Iran uh, could have inflicted much more damage had they wanted to. It seems to me that they chose to not do so in what I personally see as an act of mercy on their part. Or at least sanity. They decided to be the grown-ups here. 
and to de-escalate what could have been an apocalyptic confrontation in the, in the Middle East with an unhinged, unfit president of the United States who is desperate to distract from his own domestic problems, including his pending impeachment trial in the U.S. Senate. So, yeah, Des, I think uh, Iran took one for the team, the team here being humanity in this case, by launching what is a symbolic strike more than anything that they knew was unlikely to cause casualties. They could have done much more. They could have been more specific in their targeting. They could have launched many more uh, missiles and rockets. Uh, and but they knew they knew what this would likely uh, turn into. They announced when they did this attack that there would be no more reprisals if the U.S. did not retaliate militarily hereafter. That's what we were all waiting to see wh- how Trump would respond on Tuesday night and on Wednesday when uh, the president signaled he would not be retaliating militarily. Iran's foreign minister, Mohammad Javed Zarif, said after the missile strikes that Iran had, quote, concluded proportionate measures, unquote, in retribution for General Soleimani's death and that Trump's response seemed to indicate an openness to foregoing any reprisals since there were, in this case, fortunately, no casualties. So Iran gave Trump an off-ramp for this. Yeah, and Donald Trump took it, which... Well, seems to have taken it so for the moment. Uh, so far. Uh, yeah, thank God. Nonetheless, the Times reports analysts caution that even if the two sides ease off of a military clash in the short term, the conflict could well play out in other ways in the weeks and months to come. Iran has many proxy groups in the Middle East that could cause trouble in new ways for American troops or American allies like Israel and Saudi Arabia. Uh, and experts remained wary of a possible Iranian cyber strike on domestic facilities. Of course, uh, we have long been warning about Iran's ability to do exactly that, which is just one of the many reasons we've been encouraging voting systems for this year's presidential election that cannot be hacked or disrupted by cyber strikes. Cyber attacks that I'm absolutely terrified could occur this year in order to disrupt the presidential election. So, namely, we have been calling as a response to that to keep something like that from happening. We have been calling endlessly for hand marked paper ballots and paper backup poll books at all U.S. precincts in 2020. Sadly, Election officials in this country, however, have been moving in the dangerously opposite direction, installing unverifiable touchscreen computer systems all over the place that require electronic poll books uh, and the Internet in order to operate to allow voters to simply cast a vote at all. And Republicans in Congress have failed to properly shore up cyber defenses against that kind of attack. The kind of attack that either Russia or Iran or any other country or someone in this country, including, uh, frankly, most threatening election insiders in the U.S., could pull off very easily this year. And Republicans have prevented pretty much everything uh, that we might have been able to do to help prevent that. I wonder if they're having second thoughts about that now that Iran has a reason to retaliate against the U.S., 
In any event, uh, Wednesday morning, uh, Trump responded in those remarks at the White House. And normally I might play the president's entire statement. It was only about 10 minutes. But while it included some encouraging signs, as noted that he was willing to back down from his tough guy routine for the moment with Iran, it also included a whole bunch of out-and-out lies and false claims about Iran and about Soleimani and, and most notably about the nuclear agreement that was brokered during the Obama administration. So even though it is the president of the United States, I can't even play his full comments here without, you know, helping to spread out and out false propaganda that I wouldn't have time to set the record straight on. For example, one claim he said, quote, Iran's hostilities substantially increased after the foolish Iran nuclear deal was signed in 2013, when in fact the opposite is the case, according to virtually every serious expert in the field and in the region. So that is just an out and out lie. So I will spare you. You're welcome. Those lies over our public airwaves, at least the tiny, teeny, tiny bit of the public airwaves that I have control over vis-a-vis -vis this program today. What Trump did say uh, that it is not an obvious lie is that the U.S. plans to impose additional punishing sanctions against Iran. But for now, those are economic, not military, that he believes Iran's quote, uh, that uh, believes Iran, quote, appears to be standing down and that he wanted to see NATO become more involved in the Middle East in the future, even though that is not NATO's mission. So it's unclear for now exactly what that means. That he said that Iran and the U.S. should, quote, work together, unquote, against their mutual enemy of ISIS. And that, quote, the United States is ready to embrace peace. Now, whether he actually means that or not or means any of it, of course, remains an open question since Donald Trump lies about everything as easily as he breathes. But for the moment. Given where all of this could have gone last night and today, we will take the opportunity to breathe ourselves just a bit easier tonight and hope that Trump was serious about giving peace a chance. On that matter and much more, Michael Fuchs, former senior State Department official, joins us next to help us off-ramp the confusion of the past, well, six or so days, and to try and reset where all of this goes from here. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to The Bradcast. Don't go away. The Bradcast and The Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Yeah. Me too. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So on Wednesday morning, the world waited for Donald Trump's official response at the White House to Iran's seemingly symbolic and ultimately non-lethal ballistic missile attack on Tuesday night against two Iraqi military bases housing thousands of U.S. troops. That attack was carried out by Iran in response to the targeted assassination of their top military leader, Qasem Soleimani, by the United States President Donald Trump late last week. 
And as we all waited on Wednesday morning, confusion had been the word of the day for the past 12 hours or so since the Iranian Iranian attack on Tuesday night. As Washington Post Greg Sargent led off his plumb line column today, there's confusion over Trump's rationale for assassinating Major General Qasem Soleimani, confusion over Trump's broader strategic goals, confusion over whether Trump wants to appear militarily unhinged and threatening or restrained, and confusion over whether Trump is betraying his promise to avoid foreign entanglements or honoring it. All of this confusion, writes Sargent, traces back to one of Trump's biggest lies. The idea that the Iran nuclear agreement constituted a wretched display of elite failure and American weakness and that Trump has replaced it with an approach that is, quote, strong. As Sargent wrote regarding Trump's all is well tweet on Tuesday night in the wake of the Iran missile attack and the deadly crash of a Ukrainian passenger airliner after After takeoff from the airport in Tehran, that all-is-well tone contrasted sharply with Trump's bellicose but toddler-like pounding of his toy war drums, meaning his Twitter feed, which has included threats of, quote, disproportionate force and even war crimes. But the guy with the toy war drums also controls the U.S. military, so let's hope Trump is looking for an off-ramp. Iran may have given Trump that off-ramp by launching a strike that apparently did not kill Americans. If he de-escalates, perhaps by declaring that Iran blinked in the face of his show of strength, that will be great as far as it goes, writes Sargent. And that does now appear to be what did happen. As Trump declared on Wednesday morning in his remarks that the American people should be extremely grateful and happy no Americans were harmed in last night's attack by the Iranian regime, all of our soldiers are safe, and only minimal damage was sustained at our military bases. And he added that Iran appears to be standing down, which is a good thing for all parties concerned and a very good thing for the world. But the larger point here remains uh, this, as Sargent noted, none of this has to be happening. All of it, he argues, stems from Trump's ill-considered removal from the JCPOA, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, which is the anti-nuclear deal struck under under the Obama administration after years of diplomacy with Iran, the UK, France, Germany, Russia and China. That deal had been working to curb Iran's nuclear material production and, according to most reports, had greatly eased tensions and prevented attacks by Iran and the far-reaching militias that it supports across the region in several other countries. The missile strike by one of those militias that killed a U.S. contractor recently in Iraq, cited by Trump and his supporters as one of their many different explanations for last week's assassination of Iran's top military general, came as part of a spiral of increasing tensions, all of which stemmed from Trump's withdrawal from the JCPOA nuclear deal, Sargent argues. Well, joining us now to discuss all of this today and hopefully answer a lot of questions I have for him on what the hell happened over the past six days and where all of this goes from here is Michael Fuchs. He's former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State 
under President Obama and prior to that, a special advisor to the Secretary of State for Strategic Dialogues under then Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton. He is now a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress. Welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Uh, it's great to be with you. Thanks, Brad. Uh, boy, do I have a lot to ask you about, Michael. Uh, <laughs> some you may or may not be able to answer, but uh, hopefully I'm, I'm hoping to clear up at least some confusion, relying on your insights as a former State Department official. First, I, I have asserted that it seems to me like Iran has committed an act of mercy in their response to the assassination of Soleimani, that they were, in this case, the grown-ups in the room uh, who knew that a damaging uh, reprisal against the U.S. could have resulted in a, really an apocalyptic confrontation in the Middle East for everyone. And I think Iran sort of took one for the team here, the team being humanity in this case, in their subdued response to the killing of their top general. How do you see it? Well, look, I think that it's hard to describe uh, a attack with ballistic missiles um, on bases where U.S. and other personnel are stationed uh, as taking a step back. <laughs> um, I think that even though Iran may have very well intended to target parts of these bases where there were no personnel intentionally, trying to avoid casualties, mm -hmm. to, to not escalate the situation too much further. Um, we still need to recognize that any attack um, with missiles, uh, especially targeted at uh, bases where there are U.S. Uh, troops present, is very, very dangerous. Um, but I do think that, to your point, seeing this in the broader context is very, very important here. The attack that the United States took against General Soleimani of Iran mm -hmm. was incredibly escalatory. And Iran was not going to let it go without a response. Um, mm -hmm. And so this is a serious response by Iran. Um, they have responded. The question now is twofold. One, is this the total, the totality of Iran's response? Mm -hmm. um, or is there more to come, perhaps through Iranian proxies elsewhere in the region? And the second one, of course, is what will President Trump do here? His initial response, the remarks that he gave uh, today, mm -hmm did not announce any further military action, which is a very good thing. But we are still in a very precarious and dangerous moment right now with Iran, uh, a series of escalating tensions that have brought us to this, this brink of potential conflict. Um, and so there are actions that both sides, I think, need to take right now uh, to, to de-escalate the situation. Let, let me press you on one point. And, and yes, of course, uh, you know, lobbing 22 ballistic missiles at a, a, a two military bases is nothing to scoff at. But uh, it seems to me that Iran had to do something. You saw the, you know, the millions of people in the street vowing revenge against the U.S. They had to do something. This seems to me like, frankly, the literally the least they could have done uh, to still appear as if they were responding uh, strongly in some fashion to the U.S. without touching off further hostilities. I mean, their military um, strengths are certainly enough that they could have caused serious damage if they wanted to. A am I correct about that? Well, I think that I think it's absolutely a very fair uh, point, and I think that the 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 key point here being that there were no casualties. Mm -hmm. um, Iran obviously could have caused significant casualties uh, in this attack mm -hmm. right here, whether or not they were targeting uh, to avoid them uh, or just got lucky. 
<laughs> miscalculation is very uh, is very much a possibility, and mm-hmm. so there could have been significant amounts of deaths here. But I would say here that the point is that no, there is no winner in an escalatory tit for tat cycle mm-hmm. like this. Right? It takes a side to decide that they need to step back. Um, and so, sure, there are other things that Iran could have done. It could have taken this immediately to the United Nations Security Council uh, and demanded action um, for the assassination of a right Iranian official. Um, and they could have responded in other ways, cyber attacks, for instance, and so forth, mm-hmm. things that would not necessarily have been kinetic. That all being said, we are where we are right now. There were, thankfully, no casualties to this response, to this, uh, this Iranian attack. And so, absolutely, that gives... I think the United States and Iran a potential face-saving way out here to try to de-escalate the situation. And, and and that is the hope, that they do so on both sides. Michael, you wrote for The Guardian last week after the assassination that the strike was, quote, wildly reckless, that blowback will come from it. Do you now see this as the end of res- uh, Iran's response? I'm quite worried, particularly about cyber attacks, as you mentioned. Uh, is the blowback over, or is there uh, is there more to come? And for that matter, is this the end of Trump? exacerbating tensions with Iran, uh, which, in my opinion, he's been doing to sort of help distract from his impeachment problems at home right now. Right. Well, I think that it's we have to look at the this tit-for-tat series of uh, escalations in the last few uh, days as uh, part and parcel of the broader context, right? The tr- two countries have been at odds for decades. Mm-hmm. The Trump administration has significantly ramped up tensions in the last few years completely needlessly and recklessly, which has, of course, provoked an Iranian response that has brought us to the place that we find ourselves here today. And so absolutely, it's entirely possible that Iran might respond more to this most recent series uh, of uh, events. They might use against cyber attacks. They might use their proxies throughout the region, mm-hmm. which is a little bit hands-off, allows them a little bit of plausible deniability uh, in their mind um, to attack U.S. interests or partners in the region. Um, but even if there is no immediate other response from Iran, we are still, again, in this very dangerous and precarious moment where tensions between the two countries are incredibly high, and neither side seems, frankly, to have the ability nor, frankly, the interest at the moment, at least, in finding a sustainable solution uh, to these tensions. Um, And so for the moment, we want to hope for a very quick Mm -hmm. de-escalation. But the bigger problem uh, is still very much there. Yeah, and you're a diplomacy guy as a former State Department official. It seems to me that diplomacy is the answer here. But uh, Will Ruger, who is actually a Koch brothers guy, he tweeted today after Trump's White House remarks, uh, quote, need to remember that even if both sides are hitting the brakes, the maximum pressure campaign by Trump is going to continue to create problems between U.S in Iran. Donald Trump should pivot to more serious diplomacy to take advantage of the moment. Now, even though he's a Coke guy, uh, Michael, uh, that seems right to me. Is there any chance, as you see it, that Trump will actually now take that advice, uh, that will try to go the diplomacy route? Does he have that ability? Does Iran have that interest? And can all of this happen even with a, you know, a very hawkish on Iran Mike Pompeo as Donald Trump's secretary of state? 
Well, look, I think obviously with Donald Trump in charge, anything is possible. Um, he is incredibly erratic, uh, uh, dealing with North Korea, obviously, in 2017 to 2018. He went from, you know, a year of fire and fury threats where it looked like we might go to war against North Korea and just completely flipped on a dime uh, and said that he wanted to meet with Kim Jong-un, which he did three times, of course. So anything could happen here. And even this past summer, we saw amidst uh, heightened tensions between the United States and Iran then, Trump start pivoting and talking all of a sudden uh, after pulling back from a strike on Iran, talked mm-hmm. about uh, diplomacy um, and meetings uh, mm-hmm. with the Iranians, um, which by some reports almost happened. And so I think that that is it's diplomacy is absolutely possible here. But the question is whether or not the Trump administration has the wherewithal and the desire mm-hmm. to fundamentally change course in terms of its policy approach to Iran. And absolutely nothing that we have seen in the last three years whether from Trump or, of course, from many of his hardline advisors, like Secretary Pompeo, would lead you to believe right. that they have that uh, interest uh, yep. uh, in mind right now. Hard to disagree with that, uh, Michael Fuchs. Uh, Iran has announced they will no longer restrict their nuclear program, given all of this. They have claimed that they have uh, uh, never sought a nuclear weapon. But will they do so now? And uh, frankly, doesn't North Korea and uh, Pakistan prove that, I I hate to say it, but it's a wise strategy uh, if you want to stay safe uh, against a country like the United States? Yeah, you know, look, obviously this is a very complicated um, issue, and it absolutely, you're right, absolutely right. The differences between North Korea having nuclear weapons and Iran not having nuclear weapons uh, clearly sends a signal to Iran, uh, I think, about um, what kind of strategy they might want to pursue. But I also think that Iran recognizes right now that it is trying to play a delegate game. It is trying to keep many of the partners and other countries that help negotiate the JCPOA nuclear deal, the Europeans, the Chinese, the Russians, and others, um, on side, um, not too antagonistic towards Iran. And so if Iran were to break out completely and race towards a nuclear weapon as quickly as possible, it would likely lose a lot of that uh, sort of sympathy um, uh, or partnership that it has with these other countries um, right now, as it did about a decade ago. And so I think that what Iran is doing is very strategically, slowly but surely, shedding some mm-hmm. of its commitments under the JCPOA requirements. It has not completely 100% gone away from the deal, um, but it has slowly but surely stopped doing some of the things that it had uh, committed to do. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, as I talk to you and as I ask you that question, I, I it, it seems inconceivable that Donald Trump uh, and the United States would actually, you know, target a drone strike against Kim Jong-un's second, essentially second in command in North Korea, and not because, you know, North Korea is a closer friend to us or or has a better military, but because they do have nuclear weapons. That's a lesson I'm not happy to recognize here, but it certainly feels like it's the case. Um, Michael, uh, ever since this happened, I I have wanted to ask uh, someone like you, what is the process? This uh, talking about the assassination itself last week. What is the process for something like this? How the hell could this assassination have taken place in the first place? I mean, wouldn't something like this have to go through an approval process in both the Defense Department and the State Department? Was there nobody there to say this is a terrible idea? not to mention likely unlawful under both 
domestic and international laws. Why was this not stopped by the great brains at the DOD or the or state before it ever happened? Well, I think that it is a very, very dangerous reminder of the immense uh, power that the single person of the president of the United States holds uh, in his or her hand uh, to launch military strikes, to use nuclear weapons uh, if he or she wanted to, um, without many significant uh, constraints. Now, of course, in a normal administration, um, there are not only checks and balances, but you usually have very capable advisors and a capable president uh, who is willing to weigh the benefits and costs. But obviously Donald Trump is, is anything but that. Um, and by some of the press reporting, uh, this was uh, the kind of thing that Trump decided uh, to do um, in no small part because he was unhappy uh, with uh, the way that the rest of his Iran policy uh, was going and wanted to show some sort of uh, uh, of toughness. And so, yes, it is a very stark reminder of just how dangerous um, sort of the unrestrained power um, of the American presidency uh, can be um, when not in responsible hands. It, it feels like there must be no grown-ups left in, you know, either the uh, hollowed out a uh, Pentagon where seven top officials have resigned over the past several weeks or in the State Department, which has never been fully staffed since uh, Trump took office. I mean, I'm surprised that there was nobody there at either department to tell him no or at least loudly resign, um, you know, when he orders something so blatantly stupid and dangerous to American national security and uh, and and foreign policy interests. And. I wonder, does it underscore, you say, uh, Michael, that, you know, in a normal presidency, there would be people to, you know, to to stop something like this. But do we need laws uh, and processes in place that don't rely on, don't presume we will have a normal president, but are actually a lot safer to prevent against a, well, a Donald Trump president? Right. Well, look, you know, we do have some laws like the War Powers Act, um, which place certain constraints on how the president uh, and the executive branch can act when it comes to matters of war and peace. And, of course, we do have a constitution that actually gives Congress the sole authority to but, but they bo- But they both uh, get ignored war. all the time, Michael. Is, <laughs> and that is exactly the problem, though, right? I mean, because we can consider more laws, which may very well be uh, necessary or prudent, but if the Congress itself is not willing to actually stand up to enforce those laws, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, then... That's where you get the situation that we have today, which we have a presidency uh, that over, frankly, a period of decades has been ceded the f- the fundamental authority by the Congress um, to use military force uh, in almost any uh, kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And so I think that what we need here is a much more fundamental rebalancing of the military powers um, uh, between the executive branch uh, and the Congress, and much more significant and robust oversight by uh, the Congress. Um, And that is something that unfortunately cannot just come with legislation. It must come with the will of members of Congress Mm. themselves. Yeah. I mean, uh, one of the things I've been uh, complaining about uh, in the past several days is that Democrats in the House and the Senate 
Uh, they're now trying to pass legislation to prevent further acts of war against Iran by Trump. Uh, they're, you know, very nicely giving him 30 days uh, <laughs> to do whatever he wants before this would kick in. And, of course, it won't even get passed. It's largely symbolic. But Democrats did not take similar action after Trump uh, bombed uh, Syria a few years ago, haul, uh, you know, uh, through something like uh, 59 Tomahawk missiles against Syria. And it seems to me that when they did that, they sort of ceded their congressional authority or at least the moral high ground uh, to complain. Now, they did not take action to censure Trump in some fashion back then. Um, they do they have a right to be angry about it now? And by the way, Michael, uh, your old boss, uh, President Obama, also expanded the definition of targeted killings, uh, you know, actually targeted a U.S. citizen. Uh, who was um, uh, part of al-Qaeda. Uh, where is, I mean, th it seems like this is a bipartisan issue, that Congress has rolled over for whoever the president may be, Republican or Democratic, and I don't know how that, uh, how we turn that around. No, look, I think that, that that is a very fair point. I think that there is no administration in recent years who is free of any blame when it comes to uh, expanding uh, uh, the power of the presidency to act abroad militarily, um, which is an incredibly dangerous uh, trend. I do think that there are very important distinctions between what presidents have done, including President Obama versus President Trump and President uh, and President Bush. Um, but you are absolutely right, and reinforces just how deep the problem is uh, right now. So. Can anything uh, good come of this, Michael Fuchs? Uh, Iranian President uh, Hassan Rouhani uh, made clear that his country still saw its mission over the long run, according to The Washington Post, as driving the U.S. out of the Middle East after the killing of Soleimani. He wrote on Twitter that our final answer to his assassination will be to kick all U.S. forces out of the region. Uh, the Ayatollah made similar claims uh, that they just want the U.S. out of the region, that that must come to an end. Well, Donald Trump pretends, at least says, that he wants the same thing, that he wants the U.S. out, uh, even though he's been sending more troops into the region than taking them out. But if Trump wants it, if Iran wants it, why are we there? And maybe this is a good time to get the hell out of the region. Right. Well... I think that it is absolutely in the U.S. interest to, first and foremost, stop uh, our involvement uh, as much as possible in the conflicts um, in the region, and I include in the region uh, slightly beyond uh, to include Afghanistan as mm -hmm. well. Um, I think that our role in and Saudi Arabia, don't forget Saudi right Arabia. Now, right. Our role in Afghanistan right now, our role in Yemen mm -hmm. are both uh, exacerbating um, potential uh, devastating situations. Mm -hmm. um, I think that our uh, the mere presence of U.S. troops, while in some places like Syria uh, and Iraq, um, well-intentioned, um, are not sustainable solutions to the problems that we have there um, right now. And I think that one of the things that we should keep in mind in this whole series of incidents over the last few days is that Bad American military interventions abroad never end well. And the vote by the Iraqi parliament to evict us from Iraq, if that actually comes to pass and we are actually kicked out uh, of Iraq, um, it may be the right ending 
for America's military presence in Iraq, uh, us getting out may be the right, very right thing to do, but that's not the way that it should happen. It is not in our interests, um, and it is not in uh, the interests of our Iraqi partners who invited us there to help them fight uh, ISIS. Uh, and so, again, I think that this is all uh, um, finds its origins in wrong-headed and disastrous American military interventions uh, uh, mm-hmm. abroad. Last uh, thought here, Michael. Uh, Trita Parsi, I think you know him, uh, an expert in the in the region, has pointed out that uh, after Donald Trump last year was supposedly on the brink of some sort of attack against Iraq, I'm sorry, against Iran uh, for something or other, uh, he, he supposedly pulled back at the last minute, and it was at that point that uh, diplomacy seemed to break out when the threat of, uh, you know, of, of an attack by a president was actually pulled back, when it seemed like Donald Trump did not want to attack, and that, in fact, Soleimani was in Iraq as part of a peace effort to try to broker some sort of peace between uh, uh, Saudi Arabia and uh, Iran-supported Yemen. The idea that if we stop banging the drums of war, that that, in fact, might help lead to diplomacy across the entire region. Is is there anything to that? Yes, I think that it absolutely is. And I think that as a, you know, uh, recovering diplomat, um, <laughs> I believe in the power uh, of diplomacy. I believe that the military and the use of force or the threat of the use of force has a proper place and a potentially important place in certain circumstances. Um, but when you decide that that is going to be your first option, your first resort, and when you use it far too often, it it, began, it erodes mm-hmm. the ability for diplomacy uh, to achieve anything. Um, and so I think absolutely the first step here is for the United States to use its military tools to signal that it is going to step back from its military role mm. uh, in these conflicts and in the region. Um, and only with that kind of signaling can you actually open up, I think, a genuine path uh, for a more sustainable uh, diplomatic solution to some of these problems. I like that idea. Let's get you back into the State Department. Michael Fuchs, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for East Asian and Pacific Affairs under President Obama and Special Advisor to the Secretary of State for Strategic Dialogue under then-Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. He is now a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress. You can find his work at AmericanProgress.org and on the Twitters at Mike H. Fuchs. Always uh, enlightening speaking with you, Mike. Uh, Really appreciate you joining us today, sir. Thanks for having me on, Brad. You bet. Okay, well, are we breathing a little bit easier yet? Yeah, a bit easier, but, you know, I do have to point out that it's bizarre that Trump is saying he's ready to negotiate with Iran because, you know, he just assassinated their top general and he pulled out of the previous agreement. So who wouldn't want to negotiate with that? Of course. uh, And who knows what he means about any of it? Or, you know, earlier I said, uh, let's hope that he's telling the truth, that he wants to embrace peace. He may be telling the truth when he says that, but that doesn't mean, you know, an hour from now, he's not going to change his mind about (laughs) that. Yeah, he's got the memory of a goldfish. But, you know, also remember, they still have not presented any evidence that justifies this particular targeted killing, also known as an assassination. Let's take a quick break and come back with, uh, well, just one of the stories that we've had to put off for the past several days, uh, thanks to Donald Trump's madness, as uh, maybe we can breathe a little bit easier today, at least for a minute. 
at least in the next block. Don't go away. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. On the radio talk shows and the TV, you hear one thing again and again. How the USA stands for freedom And we come to the aid of a friend But who are the ones that we call our friends? These governments killing their own Or the people who finally can't take anymore And they pick up a gun or a brick or a stone And there are lies in the balance There are people yep, There are indeed. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. That's Jackson Brown's 1986 Lives in the Balance. It was suggested by our friend D.R. Tucker, uh, who, who uh, I had not heard that song before. No, me neither. Uh, he said, it's like he wrote it today. It is the entire song. I wish we had time for it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. There is a lot that we've had to push to the back burner since we got off holidays. What with Donald Trump's Happy New Year uh, attack on Iran that we've had to cover, then perhaps barring any new surprises over the next few days, <laughs> fat chance, I guess, <laughs> uh, we'll be able to catch up on just some of the stuff that we missed while we were gone over the holidays at the end of the year. And by the way, some of the stuff over the past week that we've had to back burner due to Trump's uh, latest self-inflicted world crisis. Uh, for example, uh, more than two-thirds of Puerto Rico had no electricity on Wednesday in the wake of a powerful earthquake uh, that damaged buildings across the southern part of the island and prompted thousands of people to sleep outside in yards and parking lots. Uh, this magnitude 6.4 earthquake uh, that struck before dawn on Tuesday caused serious damage to one of Puerto Rico's most major power plants, which generates about 40 percent of the island's electricity. That uh, uh, tembler was the latest in a series that have been going on now for several days. And the fact that more than two thirds of the island it has no electricity. I mean, that's a story that otherwise we would definitely cover. And frankly, even though Puerto Rico is part of the United States, you would think that it is something that the president of the United States might want to do something about or say something about, except for the fact that it's Puerto Rico. And I'm not sure that he even knows it's a part of the U.S. 
uh, I mean, if more than two thirds, Des, of of Texas or Iowa was without power over the past several days, do you think that Trump might have said or done something about that? Oh, sure. I think he would have if it had been those states. If it had been, say, California or New York, maybe, maybe not, not so much. You're right. Yeah. So you know, but there, it's it's the damage to this particular power plant is quite devastating. Officials say that it, it the damage is so great that it may not be actually repairable. Mm. And so they're gradually trying to reinstate power across the island very slowly because the electric system there, the electric grid is still very, very fragile. Um, so right now they're asking people to uh, who do have their electricity back on to conserve energy to keep from overloading and tripping the system again. Um, and yes, you know, it, it is unusual to hear about a, an earthquake in Puerto Rico. The Caribbean is a seismically active area. Area, but Puerto Rico doesn't really get this kind of strong earthquake, a 6.4 and then a 5.8 aftershock or foreshock, I think. Yeah. These were quite dramatic, and it's it's really rather unusual. Yeah, the governor uh, said that this is an event we have never lived through before. We are not prepared for this. There is no way to prepare for this. It hit us hard, 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 she said. Uh, they, they traveled to this uh, power plant, Costa Sur, to check on the conditions, and they said it was in uh, terrible shape, severe damage to the infrastructure to the point that employees were injured. A wall fell on an employee who was hospitalized and uh, currently in stable condition. Uh, One person has died. That four shock you mentioned uh, on Monday registered 5.8 magnitude. These are big. Those are big, yeah. People in California will say those are big. Yeah, it destroyed a beloved rock formation known as the Punta Ventana in Guyania. Uh, One death was attributed to that quake, but the power outage uh, means that about 250,000 customers, and that means essentially households, so we're talking, you know, maybe a million people, are without running water still on Wednesday. Because you have to have electricity to run the pumps to get the water to the homes. And apparently they are scrambling to find generators. They had generators, uh, but they are finding that some equipment that had been tested before the earthquake did not work after the earthquake. This is a big reminder to everybody, no matter where you are, to make sure that you're prepared for a blackout of undetermined length because these kinds of uh, infrastructure problems are rampant because we have deferred maintenance for so many years on so many of our critical infrastructure systems. So, you know. So you're a survivalist now? No, I am not a survivalist. I'm an emergency preparedness person. (laughs) Chalk it up to the Girl Scouts. All right. Thank you very much, Girl Scouts. (laughs) And thank you very much, Desi Doyen. They kicked me out. Out of the Cub Scouts. <laughs> I believe uh, it. Also, my thanks to our guest today, a former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State, Michael Fuchs, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, Breathe Easy, you can now download it for free at bradblog.com. That, along with any other program we have ever done since the beginning of time. Thanks to those of you who support our work by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. We really need you now in an election year to stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help support what we try to do every day over your public airwaves. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Bradblog. That does it for today. Uh, Until we meet again tomorrow, I hope. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.